In the following live session recording, Dwayne McCrary, project team leader with Lifeway Christian Resources, leads in Saddle Up, our preparation. Preparation puts us in a position to be at our best. During this session, the listener will hear how to prepare to lead a Bible study group by looking at five questions we must answer every week. Let's join Dwayne now. Thank you. It's always fun, kind of strange to hear myself called doctor because I don't get called that a lot. Um, I get called that when I'm at the seminary, obviously. Um, I get called that at certain conferences, and I get called that by my wife when I do something really stupid. <laughs> so, Dr. McCrary, which seminar did they teach you that? <laughs> she still has yet to call me Dr. Husband, which I prefer. <laughs> Um, we're going to be thinking today about preparation. In your seat, or when you came in, you were handed a black book that says Saddle Up. This is the content that's in chapter 3 of this book. Okay, So we're going to approach this, though, like a workshop. Okay, I'm going to walk you through the process of preparation um, as a leader. We, it was mentioned that I teach Bible study groups at our church. Um, tomorrow morning, I'll get up. I'll get up early. Uh, early. Well, not, my normal day starts at uh, a little after 4 a.m. So actually, I sleep in on Sunday. I don't get up till 5 on Sunday. So um, I'll get up, do my final prep. I'm ready. I can teach both my classes right now. I'll get there. I'll go to the preschool area first, make sure everything's ready there. Then I'll go to teach my adult group because here's how it works for me on Sunday. At 8 a.m., I teach a group of 50-year-olds. It's empty nesters. Okay? Everybody in the group has at least one kid in college, and mine are out, so I'm the goal of the class. <laughs> they like knowing mine are out and are off of my payroll. But what they don't realize is when you have get grandchildren, your payroll doubles. Yeah. And it's not because of, the, of, the, of your children. It's because you're married to their grandmother. <laughs> Um, you can edit that part. Um, so I do that at, at 8 o'clock. We have a, a unique situation in that worship doesn't start till 9.30. So for me, I have an hour and 15 minutes of Bible study time with adults every Sunday morning. Most folks don't have that much time. But I have an hour and 15 minutes of time. Okay? So we get out at... at um, 9.15, I go to worship at 9.30, except for one Sunday a month, I work in extended session. Okay? I go to worship at 11 o'clock. Actually, it starts at 10.45. At 10.45 to noon, I teach a three-year-old class, and I'm the lead teacher for the three-year-old class. And there's two people that help me. They rotate every other month. Like right now, it's... Um, who's this month? Tessa's right, Tessa's right now, and then next month it's Kimberly. And then they'll rotate every other month. And then I'm the, I'm the constant, which the parents of the preschoolers love because there's a man teaching in a preschool class. And I've got two people in the group. They don't have dads. Their dads aren't present. And it's two girls. And they love, the, the, the mom loves the fact that there's a man in that Bible study group with those two daughters. And we have, tomorrow, it is about, um, Bible study lessons about... Uh, um, Aquila and Priscilla and so we're building a tent out of PVC pipe 
And so I'm looking forward to our building of a tent. Because why would we build a tent with Aquila and Priscilla? Tent makers. We're going to do the Bible story in the tent that we built and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, but that's what I do on Sunday morning. I, um, if, I, if I'm scared, like, like I'm traveling like this weekend or uh, this, this time of year, my travel schedule is a mess. Um, I make sure that I either get the last flight or the first flight. I've, I've landed before at 7 o'clock in Nashville and got there and taught my 8 o'clock class. Okay? So I'm ready to go. For both of those classes, there's a set of questions I have to ask every week for me to prepare for those two groups. It doesn't matter if I'm teaching preschool, if I'm teaching adults, there are five questions I've got to answer every week. And we're going to look at those five questions. They're actually on page 40 of the book. They're actually on page 40 of the book. And that's really going to be our framework for our for the next six and a half hours we're together. I'm kidding. Oh, I'm going to do my best to get us through this in the time period that we have. Now, to help me, I need to know some things. Because this will help me. How many of you are, are pastors? Uh, staff, church staff, Sunday school directors. Going to be a Sunday school director. Because I remember you, you're, you're about to be, right? Sunday school teachers. Okay, that helps me. Okay? That helps me with this. First thing I got to do, and I've got the questions on the floor right here. You see, well, you already know where they are in the books. So this is a, you know. First thing I got to figure out is what will we study this week? Okay, I got to figure that out. I got to know what that is. Um, now, you think about this reality. In the Bible, <laughs> there are 31,102 verses. That's in the King James. Because different translations have different numbers of verses. Okay, so you need to know that. Which is kind of funny because somebody will say, well, this is the middle verse in the King James. The King James has an even number of verses. There is no middle verse. There's a space between two verses that's the middle. Okay? Because it's an even number. If it's an odd number, there could be a middle verse. By the way, that break, I wrote it down so I didn't forget, is between Psalm 103.1 and Psalm 103.2. Okay, so it's the, it's the gap right there between verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 103. That's the middle verse or middle place in the King James. But in other translations, they, have, they may not be an even number, maybe an odd number, and you really do have a middle verse, and it's going to be around that point. It's going to be around Psalm 103 one way or the other. Okay, um, But you've got that many verses. You've got 1,189 chapters in the Bible. Now, one of the resources that I lead, do the work for, uh, lead, the, lead the team doing the work for, is explore the Bible. It's always fascinating to, for folks to say, hey, we want to do verse by verse. I don't think you really mean that. Um, if you were to do 15 verses a week, because you, you can read more than that, but you can probably only study about 15 verses. If you do 15 verses a week, it'll take you about 42 years to go through the Bible. So if you started that now, if I started that now, okay, if I started that now, 
then when I got done doing that with my class, I'd be almost 50. <laughs> I, 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 would, I would be in my, I'm 56. So if I started that this Sunday where we did 15 verses a week, where we studied them, um, there's a high probability I'm not going to finish that with that group. Okay? If I do a chapter a week, one chapter a week, and I don't include a separate lesson for Christmas and Easter. So I just go, shh. If you, if you start including a separate lesson for Christmas and Easter, it changes this conversation altogether. If I do just a chapter a week, it'll take me almost 23 years to do it. 22 years and 11 months. Okay? If I add in an Easter and Christmas lesson, then now it's going to take me 24 years. Because that's two lessons a week, and then I'm losing two out of the years when I'm getting there. You follow that? So you got to add all that in, so you end up with 24 years. Um, so you have to have a, a doable plan that's more comprehensive than that. So what I want you to do, on your, in your, your lap, or in your chair, there was a sheet of paper that just says scope and sequence or something like that on top. Just a chart, a blank chart. Looks just like this one. Okay? It's got three years on it. 20, 21, and 22. You and a partner. You and a partner. I want you to just kind of wrestle with this for a minute. This is just to illustrate the challenge of trying to organize what you're going to study in a comprehensive way. We're just going to deal with the New Testament books. Okay? So we're, it's not that the Old Testament's unimportant. Not at all. We're just going to deal with the New Testament books because there's it's less of them. Um, you've got basically 260 chapters in the New Testament. Okay? Um, is that right? Yeah. Um, but you have, and you have 156 Sundays on that chart. Okay? I want you and the person sitting next to you to think about how you would organize studying the books of the New Testament only. That makes sense? How would you organize? If you were given the, the challenge of, hey, we're going we're gonna to do a three-year study of the New Testament, and here's the order in which we're going to do it. How would you organize that? Where would you start? Now, let me give you some information that may help you. First thing is that typically in, in churches that have Sunday school, the months of September and October are the highest attended months. The months of September and October are the highest attended months. So you need to know that. That'd be important. Why would that be important? You think about what we get, what we're going to study when. I mean, you're going to want to put some. So you're going to put the heavyweights. The gospels are. Yeah, I mean, because that's where the most people are going to be. Um, the highest attended Sunday traditionally is Easter Sunday. So that's just one Sunday though in the month. The least attended when school's going on will be Christmas and the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I mean, excuse me, Sunday after Thanksgiving. Yeah, Sunday after Thanksgiving, those two. Depending on where you are, for some churches, summer is a bigger attendance than the winter. If you're in a retirement community in Florida, for example, they'll have a whole lot more folks there in the summer than they will in the winter months. Okay? 
But in other places, it may be opposite. It just depends. you got to know where you are. Think about it. So I'm going to give you just a few minutes for you and the person sitting next to you to kind of wrestle with that and think about how would we do that? How would we organize it so we can get all of the New Testament books in a three-year plan? When your market set, go. you got to talk to each other to do this. And you said we had six hours, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to Okay, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and slow you down and stop the frustration because I can see it on some of your faces. How do I do this? Um, by the way, let me just say this. If you were to do topical studies, if you were to do topical studies, most topical studies are going to be six-week studies. Okay? Let's say you had a list of 30 topics. We just, you know, you think it'd be easy to put together a list of 30 topics that we would think we would want to address in Bible study. And they're six weeks apiece. Understand, if that's what you do, that's three and a half years. That's more than what that chart has. So now you've got to figure out which half of them, or how you're going to shorten them and get them in a three-year, even if you're doing topical. Do you follow that? And that doesn't, that doesn't account for any times that you may not have a Bible study group in that number I just gave you. Um, Christmas whatever, okay? Um, here's what most folks are going to do with, with what that exercise you just did. Number one, they're going to give up because it's just a little daunting. Uh, number two, here's the things you're going to see happen. Some folks are going to take the Gospels and try to do maybe Matthew in a year, like in, certain, you know, like in this time, Mark and Luke together, and then John. They always seem to have John by itself. Some will take Mark and do that in the first year somewhere and then John in the third year and use Mark, use Matthew and Luke to supplement Mark because in Mark, only 3% of it is unique. It's, it's, that's only in Mark. Right? Because right? almost all of Mark is included either in Matthew or Luke. But that's not true the other way around. Okay, because Matthew and Luke has unique content that only they have, but that's not true with Mark. So if you cover Mark of the synoptics, then you have gotten the, you've hit the main core of Matthew and Luke as well. Does that make sense? Some folks will pair Ephesians and Colossians together and study them as one entity instead of two because they're the same outline. If you outline the book of Colossians and the book of Ephesians, it's identical. It deals with the exact same issues and you find the same verses. Titus and 1 Timothy. You find the list in 1 Timothy of the qualifications for pastors. You find the exact same list virtually in Titus. You may marry those two. That makes sense? So there's ways to, to do it. There is no right or wrong way of doing this. But you've got, you see the challenge. Think about that. I've got a group of three-year-olds that I only have for one year. So I've got to cram all that in there in one year with them. Okay? Uh, probably not happening. Okay? But which 52 stories are we going to focus on this year? Because I got them for 52 Sundays. Well, we've got 50 Sundays because we don't have Bible study on, on Christmas in our church. And we have a big celebration on Easter, and we do something completely different on that. So I don't have those two. 
Okay? So I only have 50. Which 50 do I pick? Okay? That's the challenge of the, of, the, of, of the role of teacher is trying to decide what we study. You know that if you, do, if you don't have a plan that somebody's given to you. What, ch what can happen is we just do what we like to do uh, because um, that way we don't have to, to, to the pressure of doing that. And there's some verses we don't want to study anyway. Okay? There's some passages we don't want to, we don't want to present. It always fascinates me. Um, there are certain weeks I know I'm going to get letters because it's a, it's a lesson that, that is going to hit somebody between the eyes. Just so you know, on any given week, I'll get between 20 to 30 letters or emails that I get to respond to. Get to. They're all so affirming. <laughs> and I, ha I keep, there's some I keep in a file. I've got one in there that identifies me as an antichrist. I already know. So I already know my role in the return of Christ. Okay? My wife loves referring to that letter once in a while because I'd let her read it. And she, she, just, she just laughs. Yeah. yeah, yeah you know. But um, the worst week of the year, believe it or not, the worst week of the year is always, always the week after sanctity lesson. The sanctity of human life lesson in January. I'll get between... 50 to 60 emails or letters that week. Um, either we were too strong, too weak, we showed too much grace, we didn't show enough grace, no matter what, we were wrong. Okay? So, these are adults. Um, but I'll get those from, from adults because I deal with, with Explore the Bible. And so I'll get that in, those, those things. Because there's some lessons we just don't want to talk about. There's some things we don't want to deal with. And we'd rather it not have been in the Bible. We just read, would have rather not been in there. So um, we just ignore it and hope our group doesn't know we ignore it. Not that we would ever do that as teachers. Okay? But we do. So having that plan keeps us honest, too, having a plan like that. But that, that half of the struggle of teaching if you don't have a plan is figuring out what you're going to study each week. I mean, that just is. So that's the first thing we got to decide is what will we study this week. The second thing, after we've, we've decided what we're going to study, will be what does the selected, selected passage mean then and now? That's going to be the next thing we're going to do. I've got my desk set up as if I'm studying. And how you know it's there is because these are here. My wife likes it when I do this because she said it makes me look distinguished, but it makes me look old. Which one do I want to be? Distinguished and old or young and not distinguished? But anyway, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a verse. We're going to walk through a process. Okay? Um, so here's the process for a process for determining what does a Bible passage mean. I have a chart right here. I've already finished this chart, okay? And this chart is on, is on Acts 15, 36 through 41, okay? And um, I've got on the chart these things. People, places, things. Then I have a so what. Then I have a list of actions. And then I have a list of questions. That's what I've got on my, my chart. People, places, things. So what. 
actions and questions. So we're going to walk through this process for you, okay? Acts 15, 36 through 41. Uh, 15. Did I say Acts 15? Acts 15. Here's the passage. I'll read it to you. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back to visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and to see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. Notice Paul didn't even name him. We should not take this man. Uh, they had such a sharp disagreement that they departed company and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord and he traveled through Syria and Cilicia through uh, strengthening the churches. Okay? So, in Acts 15, 36 through 41, you find this fact. So what I've done is under people, places, and things, I've listed Paul, Barnabas, John Mark, Silas, just the key people who are there. Um, I've listed some, a couple of key words. Uh, sharp disagreement. It's actually one word in the Greek text. The word sharp, dis, uh, sharp disagreement is one word. So I listed that. Sailed off. Notice there's a contrast here. Uh, Mark and um, uh, uh, Barnabas and, and John Mark, they just got in the boat, sailed off. While Paul stayed and got commended and encouraged, there's a, there's a sharp contrast there. So I needed to note that. Then I have the, the, the cities of, uh, in the regions of Cyprus and in Syria and Cilicia. I have those listed. I'm just at that point identifying people, places, and things and stuff. I'm not doing any study, I'm just listing them. Okay, then I move to the study part. I'm going to look at. I've got for the Bible. This is not. The, this is the, the fall quarter, but I've got that here because it's got commentary in it. Um, I may look at other things on my phone. I have word search, and on my my, my tablet, I have word search, um, and I can go to any commentary that I would like that's in that con that, that's in that application, and I can study and look at that, find some things, those kind of things. So I have it on my phone. I, this is, I know this sounds strange. I have access to 6,000 books in that app on my phone. Understand how I say this. I haven't read all of them. <laughs> but I can do the research if I want to. So what I did now is so what? So here's what I have in my so what section for this passage. In Acts 9, Barnabas is called upon to take a stand for Paul. People are afraid of Paul. And Paul is brought into the fellowship of the apostles by Barnabas. reason that's important is basically Barnabas is asking for the privilege of doing the exact same thing with John Mark that he did for Paul. And Paul's not letting him do what he did for Paul. Next thing I have is their first mission trip, Acts 13. Verse 13 of verse chapter 13, you find where Mark bolts. He leaves. They're in Pamphylia. We are not told why. All we're told is he left. We don't have any idea why he left. The Bible is silent at that point. We can guess, we can, but, we, but the Bible doesn't tell us. We just know he left. Okay? 
Uh, in Acts 15, because now one of the people listed is Silas, we find Silas has accompanied Paul and Barnabas to Antioch and is present at the Jerusalem Council. So there's already this relationship being built with Silas and Paul. Um, something interesting about Silas is he's a Hellenistic Jew, but he's a Roman citizen. We find that in the, later in the, in the book, um, which is important because he's able to get in some places that others can't get into. Um, he is named in f four of Paul's epistles. Silas is named in four of Paul's epistles, which kind of gives him some status. So that's important to think about Silas. Now, this word disagree, sharp disagreement, it appears one other place in, in, in Scripture, and that's Hebrews 10.24. It's, it's translated to provoke to action. Okay? That word is translated provoke to action. It's the only other place it appears. Now, what did Luke do for a living? He was a doctor. Outside of Scripture, that phrase used for sharp disagreement is used as a medical term. Imagine Luke using a medical term to describe that. Here's what it meant. Let's su suppose you were exposed to the flu virus. Okay, you were exposed to the flu virus. Um, and there were some folks in the group who were starting to show, show symptoms. Well, you may, you, may, you may feel a little tired. And then this may happen. And then finally it's full-blown. And you mean you got... I mean, it, the fever, everything going on. When it becomes full-blown is when that term would be applied to that, that virus. It's not that word until it's full-blown. Until everything, you know, you, oh, you just got a little bit of flu. Then it's not in that category. Okay? You know, uh, my daughter, when she had chicken pox, she only had four or five of them. She only had just enough to say she had it, but not enough to be immune because she got them again. The second time, they were full-blown. She had them on her eyelids, bottom of her feet. I mean, they were all over the place. That's that, the illustration here. It's a virus that's been brewing, but it's not full-blown yet. And then at this point, it became full-blown. So it's almost like this was brewing ever since Mark left, and it's been a burr underneath Paul's saddle, and finally all the fever and everything else hit, and it's full blown now. Okay, so it didn't. Ha that would imply it didn't happen overnight, because viruses don't work that way. It's a long. And so that medical term is important here. Okay, so knowing that's important. Um, Cyprus was the first stop on the the first missionary trip, and it was before Mark left. So they went back to the same places that they had been before with Mark. That's where, where Barnabas took him. Then Paul goes to the places where Mark didn't go with them. They ended up accomplishing the same task, just they did it not together. Okay? So I've got those things, some, some so what, just some facts for me to know. The next thing I'm going to list is actions. I'm going to read for you the actions I have here after I get a drink of water. Number one, these are the actions. 
Paul wanted to check on the believers from the first trip. That's admirable. Part of discipling. Barnabas wanted to give Mark a second chance. That's admirable. I'll be honest. I'm glad there have been folks in my life who've given me a second chance. Now, you may not be in that group, but I am. Paul was focused. I wrote this state. Conflict happens even to the best of people and the best of friends. The conflict appears to escalate quickly, but I don't know that that's true. Because that word, sharp disagreement, would imply it had been sitting there brewing a little bit. Because that's how a virus works. Um, Paul invests in Silas. Barnabas invests in Mark. They're doing the exact same thing to different people. There's another person, another action I would note here, and it's stuff that's going on in the background that God's doing. There's two things at least I see here. God made both of these men the way they were for a reason. God made both Paul and Barnabas the way they were for a reason. I wouldn't say that they were exactly alike. Would you say Paul and Barnabas that? No. But they were made that way for a very specific reason. And the other thing I put on here is God can use conflict to accomplish His purposes. God can use conflict to accomplish His purposes. So I've got people, places, things all from this passage. So what? Some key ideas from Bible study. Some actions that are observable. And I don't want to forget God in those actions. Because God's doing something too. Then I have these questions. I'm just going to walk through these questions. And these come from the actions. Because Paul, the first thing I wrote was Paul wanted to check on believers. Now here's a question I have for me. Who do I need to be checking on in my life that I've led to Christ? Who is that? That's admirable. Who should I be checking on? Um, who needs me to give them a second chance? Barnabas was willing to give Mark a second chance. Who do I in, have in my life who I need to give a second chance? Have I lost my focus? Paul was focused. He had a specific purpose he was trying to accomplish. Have I lost my focus? What's my focus? Do I need to regroup and rethink my focus? Where do I go next and with whom? Paul knew where he was about to go. He knew where that would be and he, he had an idea who he was going to take with it. So for me, where do I need to go next and who's going to go with me? Am I investing in others? Um, how do I deal with conflict? Is there a way that this conflict could have been avoided? Was it worth the conflict? By the way, just so you know, there's no record of Paul and Barnabas ever talking to each other again past this point in Scripture. They may have, we just don't have a record of it. We don't know if they ever talked to each other again or not. Paul stayed in prison a lot after that. Yeah. But didn't they? Yeah. Um, here's a, when we think about God made them this way, here's a question I wrote. Am I comfortable with the way God created me? Here's, here's, a, here's another question. Is there a way both men could have been right at the same time and been wrong? How were they true to their character and their calling? There's a question that I have here too. 
had one of them compromised for the other one, would they have been true to their character and their calling? That's a yes-no question. And then explaining why. Okay, so I have that sheet. Okay, I've got that here with me, and I've done that study, those kind of things. There's other ways. So one of the things I'm going to do with these questions, if they're open-ended, I'm going to try to make them close-ended. If they're closed-ended, I'll make them open-ended. Y'all know the difference? So an example might be, um, well, I'll pick one. Am I investing in others? That's a yes-no question. A way of changing that to a closed, que uh, open question is who, who am I investing in and how? Um, uh, if I have an open question, how would I make it into a closed question? Uh, here's, a, here's one. How does God use conflict to shape me? That's an open question. A closed question was, does God use conflict to shape me? Yes or no? Because you need to answer that first question to get a second question. You follow that? So you do those kind of things. That's an exercise. Um, I'll say this. For every good question you come up with that you'll use, there's ten in the background that you won't use. So just know that. So I have my chart. So I've done my study. What does this passage uh, mean then and now? It gives me some conflict, uh, some context. Now, the next thing i got to figure out is what's the main point we need to focus on. Because in what I just shared with you, there are several things we could focus on. We could focus on conflict. We could focus on your character, being true to God's calling. We could focus on encouraging other people. Um, there's a lot of things, a lot of directions you could go in. Okay, I got to pick a focus. I've got to pick one because understand, I probably, in most settings, I probably have maybe 40, 45 minutes. I can't cover all of those in 45 minutes. I just can't do it. I'm and glad to hear you say that because I'm like, this is a lot. Yeah, you can't do that in 45 yeah. minutes. You can't. I've got an hour and 15 minutes and I can't do that mainly because there's one person in my class who likes to talk. <laughs> and I know, I know none of y'all have that problem. <coughs> and I'm talking about my three-year-old. Somebody asked me what's the difference between teaching preschoolers and 50-year-olds. Well, the 3-year-olds ask harder questions. They'll ask why. And I don't ever get that with the, with the others. They are alike, though. Both groups need bathroom breaks about halfway through. <laughs> um, you are being recorded. Huh? It is recorded. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to look through this, and I'm going to say, oh, uh, uh, this is the direction that I think, because I know my class or whatever, this is the direction we're going to go in. I'm going to pick that focus. And I'm going to do it with the question, this is what the last question I want them to leave with. It may be, who am I encouraging in this life? It may be that that's the last question I want them to leave with. So we're going to, if that's the focus, then I'm going to think about it that, that focus that way. Then after that, after I've done figured out the focus, then I've got to figure out how this, tra this tra change how does this change the way we think, believe, act, and relate? Notice the key word in that, that question is we. I have to be willing to say I'm dealing with this too. 
I'm trying to encourage this person better. Okay? If that's the direction we're going in for this lesson. So I've got to think about how this study is going to change how I behave just as well as how much it's going to challenge the folks in my group to change. Okay? I've got to do that. Because I can't take them somewhere that I'm not willing to go as well. I, I mentioned getting letters. It, I, I always expect letters too when we study Malachi on giving. And the person who comes, I can't believe you're, we're talking about that. Well, you know what? If you're tithing, you're not worried about talking about it. I said that out loud. But if you are, if you, hey, if somebody says to, uh, says, uh, says to me, Dwayne, you know, we're supposed to be sharing the gospel. Who, who have you talked to in the past month? You know, can I answer that question? Who are you praying for? How have you tried to open a conversation? I need to be ready to answer that question. What about giving tithes and offerings? Yeah, tithes and offerings. Tithes you know, just 10% offerings yeah. above. You know, you've got you <laughs> to be able to have that conversation. That's one reason we avoid some verses because we don't want to have that conversation because it, it impacts us and our thing. That makes sense? But the tithe also covers your time. Yeah. I mean, there's a variety of things you could deal with in, in that passage. So I pick, we encourage, how's that going to change what I do? Those kind of things. Then, my last question is this one. How can I help my group discover these truths for themselves? Now, here's what I could do. I could come in and I could say, okay, let me tell you what I've discovered. And I could tell you everything I need. We call it cognitive dump. I take everything in here and I just dump it out there. And you don't do anything except take it all in. And the expectation is, is for you to sit and just bring it all in. And here's what happens. It creates an unhealthy codependency. Because what, here, let me explain it this way. Here's a scenario. I come in and I lecture and present everything that I've studied. I've got it organized. I've got a nice package to present. I present that lecture. Nothing wrong with lecture, so don't get me wrong. But I do everything with lecture. Um, I don't give enough time at the end for them to ask questions so I'm safe. They aren't asked a question, so they're happy. And what I've done is just given them information. Then, then we, I'm standing through there about to leave. Hey, how you, hey, that was a great job today. All I had to do was listen. That's what they're really saying. Great job. Great job. Oh, I don't have to do anything now. I can go home. I feel good about myself. We love you. We love you teaching. And so then you do the same thing the next week, or we do the same thing the next week, because we like having people pat us on the back. See, that was really good. When they don't pat us on the back is when we've dealt with something that they don't really want us to deal with because it bothers them okay which is one reason certain Bible studies and topics create different responses like that because um, we got to the scar and that hurts and so I could do that could do that but it creates this strange codependency they're dependent on me to do all their studying for them and share this information so they feel good about themselves. And I like doing it. I like studying. 
They pat me on the back and I feel good about myself, so I go do it again. And now we have codependency, we haven't done anything. Because nobody's taking any action. There's no challenge to take any action. We're just giving content, sharing, but we feel good about it. And, and folks will say, oh, that's the best class in our church. Because nobody complains about it. Well, sure they don't complain about it. You're not asking them to do anything. I mean, you just won't. So we could do that. But what this says is, how do I help my group discover these truths for themselves? Okay? How do I help my group discover these things for myself? Here's the thing that I've discovered to help me do that. This is in that book as well, but I'm just going to tell, them the, tell these to you right off the bat. First thing I'm going to do is I've got that big idea. I'm going to create some kind of discovery activity around that big idea. Okay? Um, let's say if we're going to deal with being, being uh, true to your calling. What I may do is have a debate. Here's the big idea. We're going to debate. Was Paul right or was Barnabas right? And we're going to divide it right here. This is the Paul was right. This is the Barnabas was right. Okay? And that's going to be the big thing we do as a group. Okay? Is this group debate this group about their person they've been assigned being right. And that's what we're going to do is our big discovery time. But to be able to do that, you've got to decide where is he right or not and why. That makes sense? So there's more to it than just, hey, we're just going to have a debate. It's, you're going to have to do some work to figure out if Mark was right or not, or if Paul was right and why. So you have to look at that passage. You follow me? So there's my big starter. The next thing I do, that's our big thing, that's what we want to try to do. The next thing I do then is think about the questions that move the group into that activity and move them after that activity. Okay? It moves them to it and it gets them out of it. What are those questions? Where am I going to go to look for those questions? On my worksheet right here. And I'm going to draw those questions. I'm going to follow them back. And I'm going to see this question really is based on this action, which is based on this piece of information, which comes from this character. So I'm going to draw circles. I didn't do it on this sheet, but I'm going to draw a circle and a line that connects them and goes backwards. It's best to work backwards from the question to the content. You follow that? Because otherwise you're going to get you're going to get bogged down in trying to tell them all this this information, and some of it won't be important for that particular focus. You follow that? So if you if you organize it that way and work backwards, then you you don't get as bogged down and confused. Okay. So I'm going to then craft those questions. I want to say this about questions. We have to think about questions in the terms of question sets because questions work as sets um, the first thing is to invite somebody into the conversation it's really why do I study this do I even make the effort the next thing is trying to define the process what am I studying what are we looking at today what's the focus then the next kind of questions are those things that direct discovery. That's the, what does this say? Who is Paul? What is this word here? What does this mean about sharp disagreement? Where else is it used? Those kind of questions, okay? After that, then I'm going to get the process questions, okay? Which one of these do you think is right? 
Do you see yourself more? I didn't ask this. Do you see more of yourself as a Paul or as a Barnabas? Which one are you? Why? How? Give me evidence that would prove that. You know, those kind of things. But it's a processing thing because now I'm processing that information. They had this disagreement. You could, if you're looking at it, if the focus is going to be on the conflict, here's this conflict. How could it have been diffused? That's a processing thing. Then, the last thing is the challenge kinds of questions. It's what am I going to do with that? Like, for example, if we were doing this, we were dealing with encouragement for this lesson. And we see, we're just going to study the life of Barnabas. And we see Barnabas, he did that for Paul. Now he's doing it for John Mark. And it was more important to him to encourage John Mark than it was to go with the great Apostle Paul on another missionary trip. How many of us would think, would, stay, would give almost anything to have gone with Paul on a missionary trip? Barnabas gave that up so that he could encourage Mark. That's a strong statement about the value of encouragement. Okay? Um, how do I carry that same kind of commitment to encourage and invest in somebody? You, you see where I'm going with that last set of questions? So questions work in sets. And I've seen, I've seen useless questions because they don't take you anywhere. We had a rider. Key word in that sense is had a rider. <laughs> We'd asked to develop question sets for us. He gave us this question. Here's this question. You ready? If Satan hadn't picked the serpent... Which animal do you think he would have picked to have tempted to eat? <laughs> now, understand, you could fill up the whole class time with that conversation. But does it take you anywhere? Okay, it doesn't take you anywhere. Um, what's funny is if you ask that question in parts of Tennessee, they'll tell you, oh, it would have been a gator. <laughs> For here, you may say it would have been an, an ugly elephant with a red shirt on. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you what? That's where it goes. All right, but just it's a it, it would foster discussion, but is it useful discussion? And that's the issue with questions: is they have to be within a context of a larger set, and they move you somewhere. So you have to look at where it's going to get you to and work backwards to create a question set. You follow that? So that's where you... So you may have... Here's this list of questions you could pick from. Okay, but does that get me here? Because if it doesn't, it may fill time, but it's not getting you where you want to go where they are challenged to act upon it. Or it takes you down a rabbit trail that you don't really need to go to because it's different than what your focus is. You follow that? And so you end up over here with this rabbit, and then when, when you start realizing you're chasing the rabbit, it's too late to get back on the trail to get back over here. I know that you don't have this, but in my 50-year-old class, or my class of 50-year-olds, let me rephrase that, there is somebody in the class who I believe spends all week trying to figure out a rabbit he can try to throw in the middle of the class. <laughs> now, like I said, I don't think you probably have that experience. But I have somebody who they will 
I think that they brag about it to their friends the next day. You should have seen the rabbit I got. <laughs> but you got to be prepared for that. I know what, the, and then here's the other thing too. This is how you know what the rabbits are. You want to know how to know the rabbits gonna, what, what they're going to be? It's the same rabbits that you came up with while you were studying that got you off on a different track than where you were going. That's how you know. On my, on my, uh, my, my teaching plans, because I'll, I'll handwrite it out instead of carrying in the book, because it may be the exact thing, same thing word for word, but by me handwriting it and carrying it in, it makes them think I prepared. Because <laughs> if I carry in the book, they don't necessarily know. Even if I got it all marked up, they know I marked it up. But did he really prepare? But if I carried in handwritten, they think I prepared. Even though I just copied hand from, you know, over into it. I will identify rabbits in ways I'm going to either chase them or shoot them and leave them for another day. <laughs> I may not use that information except once or twice in a quarter. But those two times it comes up, that's invaluable if I can shoot that rabbit and put him over to the side. Because it helps me keep the class moving forward. Okay? So I'm going to do those questions. After that, I'm then going to identify what the group will need to know to complete the discovery and answer those questions. So what's the facts they need to know and how am I going to communicate that to them? I may lecture it. I may hand it, give them a handout. I may have a, an article about Paul and an article about um, Barnabas, give them to those two groups, and that helps them do what they need to do for the debate. But they're going to have to read the article, kind of decipher it. I mean, so I, I'm just trying to decide what information do they have to have to participate. Then I'm going to add an introduction and a conclusion, and then I'm going to start gathering the stuff I need. I have a bag. It sits at a certain place in our house. And I start gathering stuff. Remember, I got to gather stuff for both my adult class and my preschool class. Um, so I start gathering my stuff. It sits by my. It sits by a certain place, and it's got stuff in it. Everybody, my wife, because now our children have moved out. <laughs> I didn't mean to smile. Um, I, I I miss them most of the time. Um, Nobody, my wife doesn't touch that bag because that's stuff in there. I, when I get home on Sunday, I take all the stuff out that I know I'm not going to need the next week and I put the stuff in I think I'm going to use the next week. I keep that stuff in there. So Sunday, I don't have to get up and start gathering stuff. I just grab my bag and go. Get my shower, get the bag and go. So it's a lot easier for me. One Sunday, she was just picking on me. She put some stuff in there and I got to my class and I'm looking thinking, Wait, 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 where was I supposed to use this? Because I'm, I'm trying to find my notes. <laughs> she asked me at lunch, did you find this in your... Yes, I did. She just smiled. <laughs> but I had that bag, and that's where I gather all my stuff, because I know and I may put... I may, at the start of the week, think, this is what I'm going to do, and then halfway through decide, no, I'm going to do that. I take that out and put something else in there. But it's in that bag, keeps me organized, so I can just grab and go on Sunday. It's one less hectic thing to do on Sunday, okay, by doing that. So I start gathering those things, and I'm ready to go. Um, that's the process for that last thing. How can I help my group discover these things for themselves? That's how I do that. I come up with one big activity, because you're probably only going to have time to do one big activity. And then I'm going to make everything else focus around that discovery activity. I mentioned debate. 
There's other things you could have, we could do for this. That would be the big discovery activity. And I'm, then everything else is leading up to that and then in response to it. You follow that? Because we only got, if, if it's a good day, we got 45 minutes. And if you start with prayer requests, you're going to have less than that. My class, we do prayer at the end with my adults. Preschool, that's a whole different thing. We'll pray almost any time with preschoolers. But with the adults, we do prayer at the end because we do it at the beginning. It's going, to, we're, it's going to cut into our Bible study time. And I hate to say it, but there's some people in that group who the only time they actually open their Bible and do Bible study is when they're sitting in that room across from me. I wish that wasn't true, but I know that's true for some. If that's the case, then I need to give them as many minutes as I can to Bible study. And as important as prayer is, if I do it at the end, I'm still going to get the same requests. I'm going to get them faster because they're going to try to get out by whatever time it is to beat somebody to their chair. They, they know that some people don't know that they have purchased that chair every Sunday with their time. And they can't, folks don't realize that they can't see the invisible plaque that's there. And so they got to get there before they do that. And so I get the, the prayer requests, but I just get them quicker. Most of the times. There's, some, there's one person, once again, the same person who likes to talk. If there's surgery going on, that person will tell you, now this is what they said it's going to be like. And you really didn't want to know all that. That's the process. Okay, now, you can do all that yourself every week. Or you can depend on somebody else to help you have done that. Which is why curriculum is so important. Okay? Because it does, the hardest thing to do is decide what you're going to study each week. That's the hardest thing to do. And it's why having a good plan is important. It doesn't matter. Obviously, I work for Lifeway. There are other companies that have good plans. There are other companies that have good plans. But that's the hardest thing to do, is deciding what you're going to do and when. What I'm about to share with you, um, for some of you, if you're a teacher, this is immaterial. But if you lead, you're the one that decides curriculum. Let me give you some things to think about here. Um, you've got five questions to answer as well. So if you're the pastor, minister, whatever, you've got five questions to answer as well. This isn't in the book, so this is free. First thing you've got to answer is who chooses? Do you choose? Does a committee choose? Does the group choose? Does the leader choose? Who chooses the the resource is going to be used there. Somebody's got to make that decision. Okay? One of the dangers, though, you have to keep in mind is, is, is balance. If you're going to, whoever is going to be making that decision has to be prepared to make that decision. If you're going to let the group make the decision, then you, as the leader, have to prepare that group to make that decision so it's balanced. Or you're not going to cover the whole counsel of the, of the Bible. Because understand, every bit of it's in there for a reason. Even Song of Solomon. Okay? It's there. I lead a men's discipleship group, and I'm about discipleship and obedience. So is, how is that going to apply to me? What? what, what the balance you're talking about here. I mean, I, well, let's, I think about, let's think about this in this context. In the in sense of a discipleship, there's certain characteristics of a disciple okay yeah. um, 
I've, some people have groups that have, have it in eight characteristics. Some have three, some have seven, uh, some have 12. Depends on which one you want to use. Balance is, are we covering all eight, 12, seven of these over the course of time? It may be around spiritual disciplines. Let's just say you take Donald, Donald Whitney has a, is a Southern Baptist has a book on spiritual disciplines and he has 12 of them. Do we cover all 12 of these over time? Donald Whitney. Whitney. W-H-I-T-N-E-Y. Spiritual disciplines, it's a really creative name. Spiritual disciplines of the Christian life, I think. Somebody looked that up? Yes, that is I it, he stayed up all night trying to come up with that, that time. Spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. But it does tell you what it is. Okay? Maybe that's it. You're gonna work, you're gonna, you're gonna spend six weeks on this discipline, then six on this one, six on those kind of things. Whatever you're doing, you have to have scope and sequence. And you need balance in it, because what happens is after a while, everybody gets tired of talking about the exact same thing. Mostly us as the teachers. But you gotta decide who's gonna choose, and if you're giving that to someone else. You've got to help them be qualified to make that choice. That makes sense? It's okay if you give it to them. You've got to help them be qualified to make it. You've got to train them to do that. So after you decide who chooses, here's the other questions. You've got to next know what are your limits. Here's what I mean by limits. The budget. You only spend so much. The past. There are things in the past that limit what you can do. There just are. How much time it takes for them to use that resource. The level of training required to execute that. Um, your expectations are part of There's limits that you have that work in. That, what are my limits? Next thing is what is their doctrinal position? What is their doctrinal position? What do they believe about these things? Um, there are churches that choose not to use Lifeway because they don't agree with the Baptist faith and message which is of 2000, which is what we edit to. They don't agree with that, so they don't use our material. What's interesting is one of the biggest users to explore the Bible is a Methodist church in Texas because they don't agree with what Methodists are doing right now, so they use Baptist material in their church. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, what is their doctrine? And understand, every resource, whether they say it or not, has a doctrinal position. They'll, you, they will, and they'll, it'll come out somewhere. Um, the next question is, what about their educational approach? Here's what I mean by that. What's the role of the teacher? Is the material designed so that they're the dispenser of knowledge or is it designed so that they facilitate a discussion that's the role of the team what about the role of the learner is it designed for them to just come in the group and the expectations they haven't done anything before they got in there and they're not going to do anything when they leave some folks have that view okay uh, and you see how their resources written is written that way or do you expect folks to do stuff afterwards or do stuff before what is the role of the learner in their experience that deals with philosophy of education which, by the way, is one of the, the classes I teach at Midwestern. So we're not going to go down there because I could bore you for years on that. <laughs> but, question. yes. That, that, that question you just said, what is their... What is their role? Oh. What is the role of the teacher 
and of the learner uh, in the and also what's the result? What do you want to see happen as a result of it? That's also part of the of, of the importance of education philosophy. Most folks think of education philosophy as practices, but practices are there to get you somewhere. So you have to keep that in mind. What are we What are we trying to do with this? The last thing is, what is their ministry approach? Is it designed for open or closed? Here's what I mean: an open curriculum or group that's a curriculum designed for an open group assumes that that someone could pick it up in the middle and still do it. Closed is the idea that once it starts, you can't catch up. An example of closed is experiencing God. Because once you get started, two weeks in experiencing God, and you start, if you join that group in the third week, there is no way for that person to catch up with the homework. They cannot do it. So it's closed. You do a group differently. And the curriculum is designed differently for a closed group than it is for an open group. It just is. Um, starting point. Where do they, they start with a need and then move to Scripture? They start with Scripture and then move to the need? I mean, where is that? Also, time. What are the size expectations you see in their ministry approach? I was looking at somebody's sample, and they said, create five groups of five. Okay. That means they expect you to have at least 25 in the group. Okay. Versus create pairs. What that says is they expect it to be for a smaller group. That's communicated in how they write their, their plans. So then you know. And like my group, I have seven to nine in my, my class of 50-year-olds right now. If you ask me, hey, we need to create two groups, I can do that. But if i got to create four groups, I'm really not creating groups, I'm creating partners. That makes sense. So you got to know that when you're looking at it. So I'm gonna, I've got those questions, and I'm gonna answer. I can't tell you the answer to those questions for your church, because it's different. I can't understand, and it's also different between this type of, of group and this type of group. Because this may, this one may be closed, this one may be open. How you answer those are different. Okay. Then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna create a rubrics. Y'all know what a rubrics is? I had to ask too. I'm going to list characteristics. And then I'm going to do zero, one, two, three. Okay, so here's my characteristic. Let's say um, uh, cost less than $50. Okay, uh, this one may be. Uh, can use open group, okay? Whatever the characteristics are. And, and I'm going to list them in priority. So the thing that's most important is listed first. If this is not the most important, then don't list it first. If the doctrine is important, then list it first. Okay? Whichever one is first, list it at the top. And then I'm going to list the characteristics based on those questions I just walked through. And I'm going to rate it. Reason I do four, some people will say you ought to do four right here and da da da. Yes, there are some then that you could do this. Oh, it's in the middle. But that doesn't give me that doesn't help me make a decision. So that's why 
I go with this because it can be completely none, completely yes, maybe some, or maybe not some. Then there's no middle ground, so now it helps me evaluate better. That makes sense? So that's why I'd pick an even number instead of an odd number. And so then I've got them listed, and then I can see, okay, well, I may get a total score down here when I add it up, and I can compare this, this piece, this piece, this piece. But if it comes up tied, and this is these two things are really the most important, how do they rate there? And now I can make an intelligent decision. That makes sense? So by doing that, it helps me make good decisions about what resources and curriculum pieces I'm using. Any questions, comments, smart aleck remarks? <laughs> yes, ma'am. We use Lifeway, and I really like it. We don't do it, explore the Bible, we do the other. The Bible studies for life or gospel yes. project? Okay. The Bible studies for life, isn't that right? Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. We have 45 minutes, and that includes prayer requests. Okay, so I love your chart. You did. Okay. How do I do all that and do what the lesson says to do? And well, follow what y'all have designed well, is a good idea for us to do. This, here's the thing. If you did, if, this takes time right. to, to, to develop que the question. I know that's at home for me, yeah. but how do I but here, do an activity and all yeah. that kind of stuff? Here's, here's what's, what I can say. This process has already been done in the background for the material. I can see that in some of it. Yeah. So... When we execute it, we, we hopefully are able to do that so that we've defined the focus and the big idea and the main activity around it. Now, where it becomes limiting for us, this is, this is probably more information you don't care to know, is we service a large number of churches. Explore the Bible, for example. 19,000 churches use it. And they're from... There's a church that uses it has got 40 in attendance that I, that's talked to me. And then the largest church it uses has, has um, 8,000 in Sunday school. And I've got to put together a resource that works for all of them. You see the challenge at that point? And so what you have to do is create something that you follow this process knowing that it's okay for you to change it. This is a guide. This is not the Bible. Okay? This is a guide. We will have typos. You know why? Because it's people doing this who are flawed. It's going to take a while for my class because they're 60 to 80. And so they're going to think, why isn't she following what? Yeah. You're supposed to read the next well, scripture reading. <laughs> here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned. The book, having the book actually frees me as a teacher. Because here's what I can say at the end. Now, I know we didn't deal with this part of the, of the study today. But let me tell you what. It's in the book. So what you can do when you get home this afternoon, after you're done you know, talking about what the pastor said and, and how you're going to live that out, <laughs> uh, then read this section. So what that does then is it frees me to focus on the section that I focused on and not feel like I left out anything because they can then I can say go back and read that. All you right. follow that? Pray and use my own discretion and sure. get the point. Yes. Okay, yeah. there you go. Understand and, and explore the Bible in the teaching plan. 
We have extra ideas. Here's like there's the main teaching plan. And then here's extra ideas you can mix and match. And we have the online notes yeah. that we have. And, uh, we asked lots of questions, but I like the way you did that. But we okay, do that you. with that in, in mind. But you have to understand the process has been gone through to get to that so that you know, well, I, oh, I, I've got a better question. Okay, but does it move you here? Yeah, okay. And that's fine. It's made to be, it's, like I said, this is a guide. That's why it's called the leader guide. It's a starting place. Because the biggest thing it did is it answered question one, okay. and that's that's the whole, and it gave you um, some stuff for the passage to get get it together. And then really that means you can then focus on that last thing, okay. which is how do I help them discover it? Because your class is different than my class. I've taught I taught a, in one church I served on Saturday night. I taught a class um, that was for people who are, who. Um, we had a, the association had a um, had a facility that folks who were who had people in, in prison could come stay in because we had state prisons in that area and one federal. They could come stay there for fifteen dollars a night, but to stay there you had to you had to hear the Bible study that night, and I did the Bible study. Okay, so I did this Bible study for people whose whose family member were incarcerated, some of whom were on death row. And then I would teach a Bible study group in our church on Sunday. Well, I could prepare two different things, or I could just do the main thing and then take it in a different direction. So I studied, prepared. I taught the same lesson to two different groups, but I taught it very different to those two groups. Very different because of who's there. Um, um, does that help? Yes. You have. This is a starting place, and I understand. I, there are Sundays I don't finish the lesson. But understand, I say this, what do you mean by finish the lesson? I didn't read every passage that was in here? Or does it mean that I challenged them to do something with what we did study? To me, that's finishing the lesson. Then let them study it afterwards. One of the things I've discovered with my group is if I leave things undone, it makes them study when they leave. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. And then also, like, did do they did they not have the um, discipleship uh, uh, guide thing where they can take what they've learned? Yes, the daily discipleship guide model um, is written with the idea. Let me tell you what the DD, the daily discipleship guide does. I didn't mean this to be a curriculum piece, but we'll talk about it. The content that's in the personal study guide and the leader guide—that's the traditional model. That same content is taken and reshaped to give a different experience. The traditional model is folks study before they come, and then the group time is, is a time for clarification. That's the traditional model. Okay, that's what it's supposed to be. Now, the class I teach, very few of them come prepared. I know yours class may be different, but that's the traditional model. It's the most common way it's done with adults. The data discipleship guide has the idea that nobody studied before they came. You create a, a skeleton and then let them put meat on it afterwards. It's the same content organized in a different way to give a different experience. I lead both, like for Explore the Bible, we have the traditional model and we have the data discipleship guide model. It's two different teams. The writers write the material, the content, and then those raw files are given to two different teams and they craft this, those things using the same material to start out with, but it ends up very different. 
So you'll see, so, hey, this is in this one too. Yes, it is because they started off with the same writer file. They just edited it different to go different directions. That makes sense? So um, <clears throat> that, that's, that's what you're trying to do. It's, it's, it's about the, and there's ed philosophy differences behind those two things too. One is everybody else study prepare to be a part of the group discussion. The other one is you as a leader, you introduce it with the idea that they're going to they're going to think and reflect on it afterwards. There's there's an ed philosophy behind both of those, which is that question of well, what about the ed philosophy? That's why it's important to know because it's seed in those things, and it's noon. It's time to eat. I hear my email. If you need if you have comments questions. My email is real simple. It's Dwayne.McCrary at lifeway.com. It goes straight to my my phone, whatever I'm wherever I am, and I, I'll try to answer it as soon as I can. Or there'll be a message saying I'm on vacation, and my wife told me I can't check it. So, um, but you have that that information. Feel free. Dwayne. Dwayne.McCrary at lifeway.com. If I don't know the answer, I promise not to lie to you. I'll find somebody who does. I won't make up something. Thank you all very much. Y'all enjoy lunch. Thank you. Thank you. Good class. Thank you.